So, hi. Hey. I was kind of been a bit burnt out on a lot of things, including movies, a couple weeks ago. So I just kind of needed a break. But I'm catching up. I watched some stuff, and I'm uh, I'm here for the show. Yeah, I, I mean, as you know, I've been catching up with the Friday the Thirteenth series. We right. have to go into that here, but I think I'm someone who likes that series. It's like really? it's like church, like yeah. people who like to go for Christmas and Easter. It's just like that thing. It's always the same, it's a right. little different iteration of the exact same thing. And you just kind of like to show up for it and to see what it's going to be like this year. Isn't it weird now from like the 21st century? And maybe this is just happenstance because this is when we're this age. But looking back on things that were considered in the 80s to be immoral and and illicit and um, to watch them and find that they're kind of cozy and fun. Oh, yeah. Totally toothless. It's like right. summer camp uh, final night show. Let's put on a show. You know, I mean, it's more dicey than that. But you know what I'm saying? It's that spirit yeah. of right. just silliness and tongue-in-cheek stupidness. And to see them become formulas and franchises where they have like a list of things. You got to eventually, you know, hang a blonde girl from a hook or you eventually have right. to do that. But the absurdity of how they get there. And how they stop doing anything organic, like it's weird and fascinating. Yeah, and I understand. I think I can understand why critics, particularly Siskel and Ebert, hated it so much. I mean, it was making its own genre, you know, along with some other franchises. Um, but there is no creativity to the killings, not yeah. in the least. And there's no suspense because the people don't accept unless you're the final girl, you don't know you're in trouble. Just suddenly there's an axe in your torso. Right, it, right. It's just like, kill the person, they're gone, that's it. Yeah. I kind of like Final Destination for how creative they are with, with the killings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and this is just, you know, we got to just mark everybody off. And there's right. zero, um, to me, there's no cohesion in the canon. I'm only up to number six. But why is it Friday the 13th? And which year right. are we in? And a whole generation has passed, but only a year has passed in the real world. And everybody still looks the same. You right. know, there's 20 years has passed, but it's next year. They don't care. I love it. Right. Yeah. Uh, good times. Yeah. I mean, good. I said I wasn't going to talk about it. And here we are. Hey, you know. And there's something to be said. So I streamed two things, which I've already told you about and recommended. And I don't yep. expect that you hopped to on both of them. Well, you should, because I've got wow nothing but uh, free time in my free time. Did you see anything else beside then the two titles we're going to talk about? Mm, I'm sure I did, but I only yeah. plan to talk about those two. All right. Uh, let's talk about Atlantics first. I'll okay. I'll give the rundown on this one. This got on my radar from a, uh, a critics, an LA critics podcast. Uh, this is from uh, writer director Matty Diop. Diop. She's a French Senegalese filmmaker. This is her. This was her feature debut. I think she's already made a second feature. Um, Atlantique in uh, French, Atlantics in English. It is um, takes place in in Dakar, the capital of Senegal, and focuses on impoverished workers on the construction site of a, of a futuristic tower uh, who have gone without pay for months who decide to leave the country by ocean for a better future and uh the story follows uh ada ada a young woman who who's uh 
true love is one of the men who departed on the boat. The boy, the men do not come back. And some very interesting uh, intrigue develops uh, back in Dakar. Ada is engaged to marry a wealthy uh, young Muslim man named Omar. And uh, some crazy things start to happen on her wedding night. The wedding bed is uh, set ablaze. And there's rumors that people have seen uh, Suleiman, her her lover, who her, her her missing lover. He's been spotted around. Uh, I mean, I guess skip thirty seconds if you don't want to spoiler. But I'm put it, I'm going to put it right out there that this movie becomes supernatural at a certain point when it appears that the spirits of these young men who were lost at sea are inhabiting some of the the, the people, the women that they left back home. Not just the women, actually, because there's a young inspector police inspector who has been trailing Ada and uh, accusing her of setting fire to her own honeymoon bed, um, who himself starts to have strange supernatural experiences. I thought this was, I was totally taken by surprise by the supernatural elements. I went in not knowing very much, and I was just taken with it as a slice of life from a place where I don't often get to see, you know, films made by native filmmakers. And so I was enjoying it just as an interesting and beautifully made uh, story about um, the lives of these people. And then when it started to get uh, kind of insane, I got even more excited. I like this movie a lot. Dan, what'd you think? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I, I was it. I'm just the right level of intellect for it. I tend to be slow <laughs> in following things. And I felt like I was following it and I kept being surprised and it was making sense all at the right times for me. Um, I, I just thought it was so creative and interesting. Like you say, uh, an interesting slice of life, um, good on its own terms, only in that arena, let's say, yeah. um, I, I'd love the, the color and always looking at the windows with the drapes blowing and that, uh, horrible tower that just crushes everybody. It's always looming. You always see it in the background and the, the sea is just ubiquitous around them and then the uh supernatural stuff comes in but they don't hit too heavy with it at first you think maybe this is just really happening but that's a weird way for those people to be looking you know yeah. <laughs> and then i was just kind of like well what was the point of the inspector being sick was it just to get him to the clinic so that he can see her pass by and chase her and then like i realized oh no you know right. later I felt yeah. like the the commissioner's line about like you've been gone for two fires so far like gave away that bit like a scene too early mm-hmm. for me because because mm-hmm. I wasn't there yet um and to, I wish that I would have learned figured it out with the inspector himself um yeah yeah that's my only 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 quibble and that's just a preference thing but I I yeah. just thought it was lovely like the thing with the mirror in the in the beachside bar. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was so effective. And, um, yeah, I've just, I think that I'm going to keep, I think America doesn't need to make films anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, if you finished a bottle of soda and then two days later, go back and just like put it vertical, you know, lean your head back, wait for a second, that one last horrible drop will hit your teeth. That's American cinema right now. 
you know, like the copier has been running all day. Right. And what we've released this past, it's the very last copy. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, there, there are a lot of interesting stories to be told uh, uh, from other places and other times that interest me and intrigue me. And I, I, I just, I love this movie. I feel like this will inevitably get an English language remake. Ugh. And I dread it. Why? <laughs> because I I don't want to be I don't know enough to say that this is a story that is so, you know, intrinsic to French Senegalese like I don't know that. I just know that I love it exactly like it is. It felt like their story to tell me and to think that the 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 spooky stuff or the twists or whatever is what people need. Uh, you know, as opposed to the experience of this specific film, right, is not interesting to me. Do I mean? Do they think they're going to be remaking Jexy in Senegal? <laughs> think anybody wants that? Right. And I just like looked we almost up got Senegal. That. There was a lot of cell phone stuff going on in the subplot. Yeah, in this. That's true. Brought to you by T-Mobile. Um, I'm looking up Dakar here, and it's it's a lot further from Spain than I than I hoped it mm-hmm. would be. Yeah. Um, is that I I, don't, I did no research on that. Is that a thing to set out to see for Europe and hope you're going to make it? That is a real long way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a. I assume it's it a is refugee reality. Yeah, right. There, I guess the the reason is it, it you cannot go by land. You you can't cross borders or what's the deal? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it seems like it'd be best to get yourself up to Morocco. <laughs> right. You know. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, it's essentially saying I will take the horrors of nature and the deep over, you know, those guys at the border over there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's horrifying. That, yeah, that whole part of the story is and it's kind of a uh, catharsis movie. It's kind of a justice movie, but but it's it's I don't know, it's quiet enough and haunting enough that I wouldn't say that it's like an activist film. It's just you can tell that it's fueled by very real experiences that are foreign to me. Yeah. Why did you think that Ada hated her husband so much? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, either she was already so in love with Suleiman and her parents didn't approve. So it was more, I I kind of felt like that was more of the situation, but maybe it was something about his wealth, Omar's wealth and his, his family's maybe the, the, the status there, you know, she seemed to identify more with, um, the humble construction worker than with the uh, flashy rich dude that she was engaged to. Yeah, I just like, hey, I get it. If you know she wanted to be with Solomon or whatever, that's a whole thing. But like, it didn't seem like this guy was abusive or cruel or anything. And like, her friends were saying he's going to be out of town a lot at the time, and she's living in what looks to me like um, heightened poverty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this would be a way for, for her to live a more comfortable existence. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't know my, I, that's, that was one of the main questions that I was struggling with throughout, um, was why she was, was so resistant to yeah. that advantage that was handed to her. It was either, I, I, I wondered if it could be something cultural that is just stuff I wasn't picking up on, uh-huh. or is it just movie logic? where the lovers love each other so much that everything right. else looks disgusting, you know? 
Yeah, I wondered if there was more that I didn't get or if that was just if it was just as simple as that. Right. Yeah, um and in the business with with all the, all the ladies their their eyes glaze over white mm-hmm. and they go into the home of the of the man the millionaire who's running the uh the tower construction project and demand the money on behalf of the men who hadn't been paid. I mean that stuff was all just pitch perfect I thought. It was just oh, so right. strong. And the, the yeah, entire no... cast, the entire yeah, ensemble, yeah. all of her friends. Um, Most of I, them I non-actors, it. by the way, or first-time oh. actors. Well, it seemed very natural, and I I liked their conversations. There was humor. It was interesting to watch another culture. Right. The wedding I don't know. party. And... Yeah. they like They really do it up, and everybody goes to the nines, and there's just like such a richness about it. And I know that, that I guess that I can be looking to the exotic in a racist way, but it just makes me see my own culture is so bankrupt mm-hmm. with the way we celebrate things. Right. It just seems like such a such a non-event. Yeah. And here's a, here's another um, racist Western thought of mine. As a, as a tourist, it almost looks like a nice little life they've got there. You know, right. the, the struggle yeah. is real for sure. But if you just look at the snapshot of like these breezy, you know, ruined, ruined flats by right. the sea, uh, there, there's something that was uh, a charming and, um, and interesting about it to think like, well, oh, I could maybe, do that for a week. Right. Do some research. Maybe there's an Atlantic poverty tour. I know that's you know. so terrible, but I'm just I'm just saying like the it wasn't framed like oh what horrible lives these folks right. have like no they they have a a village esque existence that in a lot of ways is lovely, and it went a long way to selling the story because I I felt such a sense of place and life and mm-hmm. people. Um, which is not something you get from American movies. American movies have to work really hard to give you a sense yeah. of place that takes you away from, you know, just knowing that you're looking at contrivance. Right. We pretend to shoot in Chicago from Toronto, you know, like right. yeah. who cares where any of it happens? Right. Yeah. So this is, um, check it out. It's right there on Netflix. It is, uh, a lovely little movie. At your leisure, Dan, you want to talk to us about The Vast of Night? Oh, if I must. <laughs> oh, you hated it. I hated it. Vast of Night is a 2019 American sci-fi film directed by Andrew Patterson, starring Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. So, I don't even know where to start with this. <laughs> I am not vitri... Like, this is a four-star movie to a lot of people I'm seeing. And I can see what is good about it or what's trying to be good about it. Just my experience of having to endure its 88 minutes mm-hmm. was just so unpleasant. Wow. It was just endless chattering and mood and place and noir and what was the point? So I'll say that I, I mean, I was committed to it. I was going to watch it. I, I, if I were not committed to it, I would have stopped because I was so bored. 
Um, I liked the second half better than the first half. I liked when they started moving, but even in those parts where the people were just talking in these long, endless takes and these stories that mean nothing. Oh, so long story short, there's a big basketball game in a small town in the 1950s. So the whole town is out for the game. Nobody's home. And the only people noticing what else is going on in the town is uh, a young woman, Faye, who is working the switchboard and a young man, Everett, who is doing his radio show that I guess nobody's listening to because they're all at the game. And uh, there's some sort of otherworldly presence that uh, that comes and they're trying to get to the bottom of are these are these aliens is this is this a ufo what's happening and they meet um a couple curious figures who've had experience with these visitors in the past and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on on and on and uh i hated it what'd you think well i knew this would be a good conversation half an hour into it i said yeah, Atlantics is is he's going to love it, but this he's going to we're at least going to have something to talk about. I didn't tell you because I thought you'd hate it. I just know that you've been for me, I I here okay. I don't hate this movie like you do. I definitely see its flaws and I think it's a good try. I give this movie a pat on the head. Um and when I compare it to something like Vivarium, another right. attempt at low budget science fiction, I would rather watch this one weekly than watch Vivarium again. Yes. Yes, um, I see the inspiration, I see the artistry, I see the craft on a shoestring budget and some very good performances. I yeah. get I see all that. I hated watching it. <laughs> Go on. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's to me this is a great exercise in what you can do without a large budget but a lot of atmosphere and a lot of inspiration. I do think it's well written. I think the actors are excellent considering what their task is. I just think it's a little misconceived in terms of the characters come on too strong. They talk too much. Uh, I kind of like the long takes, but they do kind of need to feel like they're going somewhere. And eventually the movie does pick up and it has a trajectory and it's headed somewhere. I don't love, here's, here's what, here's what I'll give this movie credit for. I'm ready to just about be done with 1950s uh, noir mixed with sci-fi UFO intrigue. That's one of the least interesting things now. It's that's like that's, you know, that's Simpsons jokes and mm-hmm. Futurama. Like that's just so played and to the point where it's become iconography. So the fact that they made a movie with a extremely different take that uh, can't, you know, could barely afford to show you a spaceship that does manage to it held my interest for the the 88 minutes Um even though I was making a lot of scrunched up faces. Uh, I, I give it kudos for that attempt and for that inspiration and it just not being a, an abysmal bore. I um, I like the kids in it. I think that the character's a little obnoxious. The, the radio guy, Everett, is he's a little too much of a joker, a little too much of a, of a personality. Um, and I, it, it kind of fails to set up any kind of character arcs. It's just kind of like, here's a whole bunch of stuff, and then eventually we're going to tie some of it together. But I guess my biggest, we haven't even talked about my biggest attraction, and I found out that this is actually a controversial take, apparently, but I hate the cinematography. 
Mm. I think this movie is uneven. Sometimes it looks great. There'd be a moment or two that look amazing. And then there's a whole lot of just squinty contrast is off. It's just not color timed well, uh, which is something that, you know, with digital technology, no matter how you shoot, you can usually do something in post to make a movie look consistent. Some people are praising this as being genius, brilliant, next level cinematography. And maybe I'm missing something, but I didn't, I didn't love how the movie looked. I think it's important to be able to see. That's what I think. Yeah. Not murky dungeon tones. I think you should be able to see what's happening in a film. Maybe it's too much to ask. Yeah. And you know, it's low budget. They're trying to create atmosphere, but you can't film like streets and houses and trees i mean you don't have to hide you know i'm not going to be like oh you know what that that breed of tree didn't really exist until the 1970s it it was it was weird it was a little too much they ramped up that visual atmosphere a few notches too too much for me i think the small town they got right on i i know that feeling i I liked that shot where the camera is just running through town and i that's like where my grandparents lived in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere, South Dakota, where the, just the yards are so big and without right. hitting any other person or traffic or car, you can run all through at night and you're completely safe. And that idea that just in this stone cavern, every single person who lives in the town is there. Right. Right. It, it just doesn't exist anymore like that. Yeah. I, yeah. Why was it so smoky in the gym? Was everyone smoking? Was that the thing? Maybe, yeah. Because I was like, what is happening in this gym? What is this about? What is this about? Who are (laughs) these visitors? What do they want? What is their interest in in humanity? We don't find out any of that. No. And so two things. I want to talk about the beginning and the ending. I like the the basketball game stuff and the tracking shot. And and I really like the way this movie introduces characters. The everybody's, you know, shouting across a room at each other. You get to know the personality and the deal of multiple characters at once. Now, do any of them pay off? No. So that's a problem. (laughs) But I do like, I, I was impressed. I knew going in, this was a very low budget movie. And so I was impressed with the, the way they pulled off that basketball game stuff. Uh, it just seems like they spent all of their kind of character energy there and then didn't do any more of it. So here's something that I remember to tell myself since I'm pretty dim and slow to pick things up in movies, like really slow. I tell myself, wait for about 20 minutes. Nothing's going to make sense for 20 minutes. And then you'll kind of figure out who the main characters are and what the story is and what's happening. The opening Mm -hmm. scenes of the movie, you, you, most of the time on a first watch, you have no idea what's going on, right? So I told myself not to get discouraged. This was elongated for the first hour. I'm just kind of like, I still right. don't know what's going on. Who's the main character? Mm-hmm. What are, what's, the, what's their name? What do they want? What's right. the conflict? I could not figure it out. Right. And the way it introduces the characters, even though I was just lauding it a moment ago, is so haphazard and piecemeal yes. that you meet Everett. And it's pretty clear from the start that Everett is a big deal. The DJ. And he's walking in and everybody wants to know, you know, he's he's on the scene and everybody wants something from him. And then it introduces uh, Faye, but she's with another dude up in the stands and he takes that guy's trombone and it seems, okay, these are two new characters that are, that are meaningful. Why did he but take then, his trombone? And that never pays off. He locks it in a locker, does a prank or something teach him a lesson he says and he then he's under the the stage but that wasn't who he wanted right. 
who had the guy had asked for. I was so confused. Then he's spending time with Faye, and it's okay. Maybe Faye is the other main character, but then Faye goes to work, and there's another girl there, and she's talking to the other girl, and they're talking about names of people that we haven't met yet. And I'm like, okay, are we transitioning to another scenario? And then eventually, it is Faye and and Everett. They are the main characters. But yeah, it's it takes a long time to figure out that that's what it's going to be. And how long was the babysitter gone? And who are the two people driving through town who kind of become their friends? And right. was the guy possessed for a moment when they almost had the car wreck? Right. What, yeah, what the was happening? Words. Yeah. So my other big question is about the ending. Were they taken up or were they vaporized? Because it looked like a pile of ash with a tape recorder in it at the end there. Oh, I couldn't. By that time, I don't know. I may have been looking. I may have been looking aside. I was, right. okay. you know, saying whether or not a YouTube video I just uploaded was for kids or not. Uh, like that. That's where I was by the end of that. I was sure. so bored. The last shot headache. of the movie is in the middle of that field where they were staring up at the UFO, and it's just the tape recorder reel to reel sitting in what looks like a pile of ash. So it seems that they've just been destroyed. Good. Which doesn't pay off anything. It doesn't, especially with this movie's kind of vibe, I imagined that it would have, I'm fine with it being ambiguous, but I thought it would be more Spielberg-y, more hopeful. But it kind of feels like they got zapped. Well, it keeps them away for a sequel. (laughs) And I, for one, give that a big thumbs up. Okay. Wow. All right, well, that's uh, that's our streaming reviews. Check out Atlantics, and you know what? If it if any of this piques your curiosity, do check out Vast of Night. It's short. It's on Amazon Prime. See what you think. We know what Dan thinks. All right, let's uh, let's take a break, Dan. And when we come back, we'll talk about our feature for this Great. week. Welcome back to Holds Up. I'm Josh. Dan's on the line. Uh, This week, I suggested that we revisit the 2000 crime drama thriller film, Sexy Beast, directed by Jonathan Glazer, a very interesting director uh, who's made three very different feature films and uh, written by uh, Louis Mellis, Louis Mellis and David Sinto. Starring Ray Winstone, Ben Kingsley, Ian McShane, uh, Amanda Redman, James Fox, Julianne White, and others. This was a movie that made a big splash in uh, film festival land and independent land. Uh, particularly, most of the buzz surrounding the performance of uh, Ben Kingsley at the time, a very unexpected turn. I feel like he's done a lot more wacky and weird stuff since, but this was kind of his big, uh, the advent of crazy Kingsley. He'd played mostly, uh, you know, um, Gandhi types and uh, Schindler's List, uh, his character in Schindler's List, that kind of, that was more up his in his wheelhouse at the time. Here he's a foul-mouthed UK gangster who won't take no for an answer. So the film is about uh, Ray Winstone, 
as a gangster named Gal, Gal Dove, who uh, has, this is our second time encountering this concept in this episode, retired to Spain. <laughs> a little, little mean... bit of a different circumstance. Um, after a life of crime in the UK, he is living uh, a pretty comfortable life with his wife, Didi. Um, there's a opening scene with a portentous boulder rolling down the mountainside into his pool. And then he finds out that the life of crime that he's left behind is of course coming after him. Ben Kingsley as Don Logan arrives to recruit him for one more job at the, or on the orders of uh, Teddy Bass, the big head honcho gangster played by the great Ian McShane. And uh, basically Gal doesn't want anything to do with it. Tries to say no, can't say no. Don Logan is kind of a force to be reckoned with in this very famous performance by Ben Kingsley. Ray does the job. The gangsters want to know what happened to Don. He does it. He shrugs and says he doesn't know. We find out that uh, Dee Dee, in fact, shot Don. And the rest of the movie is just the tension of Gal on this big job with Teddy breathing down his neck, asking questions about Don. And then it kind of just swirls into what is sort of a nightmare of uh, conflict and tension and terror. Dan, I've seen this movie before, and this was a revisit. Uh, it was a very different experience seeing this 20 years later. I nothing, it, was, it was another one of these movies that I watch again 20 years on, and it doesn't resemble my memory of it in the slightest. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't like it. It just means I felt like I didn't remember it and I was seeing it for the first time. I think this is a very weird movie with some incredible performances in it. I think if you take away Ben Kingsley and Ian McShane uh, and some of the more out there decisions by Glazer in his direction, you would have a, a very, very typical kind of a uh, limey UK gangster story. Um, but yeah, the, I think the performances... And some of those directorial flourishes are the reason that this movie made a splash and the reason to revisit them. I have more to say, but Dan, what's your experience watching Sexy Beast? Yeah, it was my first time watching it, and I enjoyed it. I think that the title doesn't serve it. I'm not totally sure what the title is about, but I think it makes you think that it's going to be something different than it is. It is, in the end, just a heist movie. Um. I wish it hadn't been so crass <laughs> throughout. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just felt like there there was just so much language. I know that's kind of what they're going for with the Kingsley character. And if I'm the one to decry that is feeling like that kind of weighed the movie down for me. Um, that's, that's really the only negatives that I have to say. I thought it was original and interesting. I liked the characters except for Kingsley. I didn't, I didn't care for what he was doing, if I'm honest. Um, and I and I felt like the rest of it outside, like you say, outside of the performances, it's a little bit paint by number. I liked the relationships of the people. I liked um, when they went to dinner early on, and uh, the other wife is completely freaked out and on edge. It, I thought that really. Uh, helped us understand who Ben Kingsley's character was before he showed up. They seem to have just this idyllic life, retired in Spain, yet clearly he has seen a lot of terrible things in his life, so his his wife, Didi. Um, 
so what was the deal with the heist itself? Why did they why didn't they just drain the pool or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I think well I think that um I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. I don't, it may or may not have been addressed in the movie, but at my the vibe was that they um there's such tight security on in that you know vault that this the chaos of a flood would be the only way they could imagine uh breaking in, getting away. I don't know. I guess so. I mean, it was fun to watch. I I yeah. can't imagine being underwater like that and trying to drill through rock that just is all my phobias that's horrible right um but it was it was fun and it and an interesting heist to watch but it didn't i don't know this it seemed like kind of low stakes in the end because the thing that um winston's trying to hide ends up not being something that ian mcshane cares about that's something i wanted to talk about yeah there's a it's a very strange through line of kind of character and tension in this movie. So it starts out the movie opens on uh Winstone kind of sunbathing and he's you know he's talking to himself and he's grunting. He I it, it seemed to me that he was being set up and introduced in the opening moments of the film as a repugnant character, mm-hmm. as a disgusting person. He was treating this Enrique, this uh, pool boy, treating him poorly. He was just basking in, sunbathing. He just seemed like he was supposed to be a, a gross pig. But then as the movie progresses, he kind of becomes the sympathetic character. In the noir intrigue, he's kind of the one that you identify with, the one who has something to hide, the one who you don't know if he's going to get made. And and even to the point where he's he finds out Don is coming and there's all that tension. I feel like they should have made him more sympathetic from the start, or maybe I was just judging Gal myself from the start incorrectly. But I think Don just needs to be the repugnant character, the scary character, so that, you know, you end. I, I ended up sympathizing with Winstone, which, but that had to be an adjustment. And yeah. then, yeah, good. Was he, I mean, was he, cause he was gross in the beginning and he seemed right. like a weirdo. And I didn't get how that had to do with the rest of the movie. It kind of felt like to be movie funny? Just was gross. Yeah. Like was, was it supposed to be funny that he's there? Like all like tanned and oiled up and in a speedo, yeah. like laid on a chair, like a whale, like, was that right. supposed to be funny? Yeah, I don't know. And then and then to your point about Kingsley, I feel like his character was some it was considered a revelation at the time, partly because nobody expected this performance from this actor and partly because we hadn't yet had, you know, this I feel like this movie spawned lots of, a whole genre of movies of British people just talking like that, British gangsters just doing that character, but all of them talk like that, you know, kind of like in The Gentleman. Um so I think a bit of that is lost to time where now it just feels like Ben Kingsley's almost lowering himself, which at the time was exciting. You know, people like Roger Ebert were like giddy at the daringness of that performance, but I feel like it's not, it doesn't play the same way today. Yeah. I would have rather had like a, a Gus and breaking bad kind of a character who's, mm-hmm. who's scary and dangerous. You can Still be scary. Like badass, and, yeah. and he seems untouchable because my thing is like we we have a room of violent people here and this guy is threatening you uh you know just shoot him you know <laughs> in yeah. in this world but you know you can't 
um, right. there will be consequences, you think. But then it seems like, eh, maybe not. And then to get to what you were saying about the ending, that's to me one of the baffling things about the movie, is that it really nicely, the movie in the middle, at the turning point where Gal shows up for the job, we don't know yet what happened to Don, and the gangsters are asking him, Ian McShane saying, what happened to Don? Where's Don? And he, you know, he's lying. He's obviously lying about it. And then there's that tension of they know, don't they? They know. Right. And then he goes through the whole job. And then Teddy's like, let me drive you. And then you get to the end. And the ending is that, well, you're lucky I don't care about Don. Right. What? So this, this is supposed me... to be this insane thriller barreling toward a chaotic ending. And it's just kind of like, well, you got lucky this time, pal. Yeah. And now it's the hook with these people forever. There certainly is an indication at the end that it's not that it's that it's going to continue to haunt him. But I just feel like that's only after the movie has let all the steam out of of the situation. Yeah, and another question that I have is about the relationship of Ian McShane with that bank president or whatever he is. Right. Um. To me, it was not clear that those two had been together at the orgy. It's almost yeah. as if they wanted the gayness to be scintillating, but they were too embarrassed to show it. Right. Such that, like, well, I see that something is happening with him, <laughs> but I don't right, see with right. whom right. Or, yeah. or, or what. And was he just using him? Is he actually gay? I, I couldn't tell. And then when he just shot him in the head for no reason, uh, why did he do that? He did right. that to threaten gal but yeah why? it really was not clear and i feel like that orgy stuff is kind of like kingsley's performance it's just let's do something weird and quotes edgy and turn it up to 11 but it's also not really fully formed and we're not going to really commit to i don't know yeah it's a little bit this movie has jagged edges that i guess were enough to make a lot of you know noise back in 2000 yeah so what what was the movie trying to tell us that he he used that relationship to be able to get into the vault one time uh, to be able right. to take a look at it? And was he just pretending to be a customer? Right. Yeah. Or is it just that he met this guy at this orgy and then while we're while we're making a crazy film, let's just make that as outrageous as we can make it. It was not the nature of that relationship was completely unclear. Right. I, I was, and I was whether it was really Ian McShane not wanting to commit to aspects of it or whether it was just timidness in the writing or, yeah, I don't know. Because to me, if you're trying to do something kind of shocking and provocative, go for it. Um, there right. didn't need to be an orgy. He could have met him in all kinds of ways and then maybe make it yeah. clear what he like. Was the guy just letting him see the vault because he asked because, hey, they hooked up the night before and he wanted to see this vault. So you like mm -hmm. use that to get in or was he actually a customer? Did he actually rent that vault that he put whatever that matchbox or whatever? Right. There's a pack of there. cigarettes, right? Right. Or whatever it was. Yeah. And I, that I feel like there's a significance there that was lost on me too. Yeah. I, I just, and not, none of this really matters, but if I'm no, like it's asking a really a, good watch. It's a really good a, movie. Yeah. Asking a ton of questions, yeah. you know, is, is like what I do when I'm right what I'm watching through. It's interesting because as I say, this is what a, what a, he's only made three features. I believe Glazer, he's only made this, 
Birth and Under the Skin, and they couldn't be more different. I really would uh, love your take on Under the Skin sometime. Um, but what I what I get from him, just for especially from Birth and Under the Skin, is just a kind of uncompromising, very grown up, very adult filmmaker. Um, but then I went and revisited this one, and it feels a little more. I mean, he was a young music video director at the time, and this was his switch to features. Mm-hmm. And so he made a, um, you know, I mean, a gangster movie and just made it as outrageous as he could. Um, he's a fascinating filmmaker. I just, it's very, these three movies are so different that it's hard to see through lines. It's hard to see like director trademarks or thematic, you know, continuity or anything like that. You wouldn't know you were watching a Jonathan Glazer film, I don't think. Something that's weird. Yeah. Um, we haven't even talked about the sexy beast yet. Right. Yeah, which is, is this before or after Donnie Darko? I believe it's after. I think Donnie Darko was 90s, right? I don't know. Uh, are you familiar with Donnie Darko? No. It has a psychotic bunny costumed freak as kind of a of a portentous you know dream character which much like this movie does yeah um it's a little more that movie's way more philosophical and there's way more things to figure out this movie it kind of feels like that's just a you know it's just a weird manifestation of fear and terror and the inescapability of his uh his criminal life yeah donnie darko is 2001 oh wow okay so there you go so that now doesn't seem very original. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought that that character was very scary and I went with it and I yeah. liked it as just a representation of his dread and um, everything he fears coming back. Right. I, right. I, I liked the ending. I liked the, yeah. the stupid thing under the pool. I mean, that was to me a little bit too obvious. I mean, we've we've seen Hitchcock. We know how you get rid of a of a right. body when you have a damaged floor. Yeah, right. But also the the CGI there of diving down into the dirt. They bury him 18 feet, 25 mm-hmm. feet underground. Sure. They kept going and going. That was impressive. But yeah, yeah no, um, no half measures. Um, no. Timothy, uh, Timothy Chalamet didn't play the, the boy who helps oh. him around the house though. That's shocking. That's the, uh, that's the Chalamet role. Um, oh, right, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, he only would have been five years old. Oh well, they still should have workshopped it. That could have that could have worked. <laughs> could have still made it happen. Let's retrofit him in. Yeah, I don't have a ton more to say about it. It's you know, it has a reputation. It's worth revisiting. I think that you know, it's yeah. not embarrassing. There are aspects of it that are weird over time, but I like it. Yeah, I like it too. I I, I clutch my pearls a little bit, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, great. All right. Um, we like movies sometimes. Sometimes. That's the takeaway tonight. Uh, thank you for your time, Dan, and your uh-huh. perspective. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thanks for your time the, and perspective. Oh, you know. Uh, I show up with it sometimes. You sure do. This has been our podcast, Holds Up. Thanks for listening. We are Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can uh, follow the show at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. I don't know why you would, but you can. Uh, the music, as always, is by Jonah Rapino, and we will catch you next time with another discussion of some movies that we look at with our face. Goodbye.
Here you are. What's up? Passed and ready to go. Mm-hmm. I uh, I had a, a root canal finished uh, three hours ago. I remember you told me about but that, but I did forget. Uh, but I'm good. I'm all repaired from it already. I feel fine. That's good. And we uh, we just drove around Nanuet looking for a Black Lives Matter protest that we didn't find. <laughs> oh no! So you know they say showing up is ninety percent, and we almost did that. You you try you drove there. Yeah, I'm annoyed on my end because like two weeks ago, our building's dryer broke. Oh no! And uh, so I had some wet laundry and so i took it to a laundromat and finished it up no big deal and they replaced it quickly and so i was doing some more laundry today you know continued to use it to enjoy this new dryer and i had a load in the wash and when i came back to get it the dryer was gone <laughs> oh my so, so i don't i don't know if it's being replaced again but i just went ahead and grabbed the wet laundry and brought it back in case the washer went missing. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of crossing my fingers that when I'm finished with our conversation, I'm going to walk down there and there's going to be some kind of dryer yeah, in right. that room. Thanks. 